16. All praise to him who reigns above in majesties of Oh. 
receive blessing. Glory and honor and power at the Father's right hand. For thou hast redeemed us, hast ransomed and cleaned us by Good morning. Welcome to worship. We're thankful for everyone that's here this morning. I want to welcome you. And we look forward to a time in the Word of God. This morning, our format will be just a little different. We want to save some time at the end. Uh, Brother Phil is, and Mary Ellen are heading to Kenya next week. And Brad and Crystal have been with us for several weeks. And they're leaving and they're going back home. Honduras, and we want to allow them both to share just for a few moments and have a time of prayer with them at the end. So this morning, as we begin, I just want to take prayer requests and, and start with prayer. Do you have any prayer requests you'd like to start with this morning? Jeff. Mark? Yeah, Brother Jerry and Garver still really struggling. He is home now. They said let's lift him up in church. Okay. Brother Jerry Gar Garver's health and uh, Jeff's Aunt Rhonda is going in for surgery. Pray for Michelle as she heads to Ukraine from Poland under very dangerous circumstances. Mike. Mike's son Terry's going to have surgery on his knee.
I pray for the teacher at the school there in, in Haiti that has cancer and no doctor to go to. Pray for her health and healing. Ivan. Thank you. Praise report for Morgan and her rib surgery and for the thanks for the support. Ryan's brother Lynn will be seeing a doctor for his, for a consult starting his clinical trial this week. Anyone else? All right. Thank you for sharing. Let's uh, let's kneel in prayer. Great Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together with people who love you, who want to follow you, who want to hear more about you, want to worship you this morning, and Lord, we just invite your presence in our midst this morning, Lord, we just pray that you would speak through the power of your Holy Spirit to every heart here this morning. Lord, we just thank you that this isn't just a get-together, this isn't a social club, but Lord, it's a, a place where your Spirit is present and where it speaks, not man. And Lord, I just pray that you would be real in lives and that your power would be real to change hearts. Lord, I just thank you for, for each person here and for each request that has been made. And there are many. And Lord, you know better than we do. You know all the details. And you are the one who can truly bring healing, can truly bring peace, can truly bring the strength that is needed in each one of these difficult circumstances that have been presented this morning. And Lord, we do, we want to lift up Rhonda and her surgery, Lord, of a disease that is painful and can be deadly, and yet we know that you are greater. And so we just ask you to hold her in your hands and to provide the strength that she needs day by day. Lord, we, we pray for the older folks of our congregation, Lord, for Jerry with his health difficulties, and, and there are others that are unable to come and who are at a difficult time in life. And Lord, we just lift them up to you and we pray that you would just be their sustenance and that they would continue to rely on you and to finish well. We thank you for their example of faithfulness. Lord, we pray for 
uh, Michelle as she enters into a war-torn country, into uh, the midst of people who no doubt are anxious, who are concerned, who are stressed, and Lord, I just pray that you would work through her, that you would use her, that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to penetrate the darkness and the dark times that they find themselves in. Lord, there's, there's Terry with his knee, and he's had difficulties here for, for several years, and Lord, I just pray that you would allow the doctors to operate well and to bring um, a healing to his body. Lord, we just thank you of Haiti and the, the difficult times that they find themselves in. Lord, I just pray that you would just give protection to your people. Lord, I just pray specifically for this teacher and for her cancer, and it must feel like a hopeless situation. But we believe that you are able and that you are the great physician, even though there's not a doctor around, Lord, we, we know that you are able to bring healing. And so we would pray, Lord, thy will be done, that you would give her life and faith to trust in you through this time. And we pray for, for Ryan's brother as he has his consultation this week, Lord, that you would give him uh, just encouragement and blessing through that, Lord, that he would see uh, you at work, and Lord, that the doctors could could know what to do, and, and that the treatments that he takes perhaps could be successful, Lord, and we, would, we know that it's only by you that any of these medications can work, and we just thank you for what you've allowed man to discover and the ways that that we are able to find solutions. Lord, we praise you. We praise you for answering prayers in the past, and there's more than just Morgan. Time and time again, you have answered prayer. You have given strength. You have given healing. And we just praise you, and we thank you, and it's why we continue to come to you, because we know that you are the only true answer to life's difficulties that we face day by day. Lord, we just pray again for your presence this morning. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll get there in a little bit. I wanted to begin just by sharing with you something uh, that I experienced recently. Many of you know that I am on Twitter. I've, I've probably been on Twitter for 10 years nearly, and I use it primarily for agricultural reasons. I, I follow markets, um, weather, and ag news, as well as a few Christian brothers and a couple friends. Uh, but the main reason is just uh, the the quickness of the updates in the ag world that, I, that I've come to appreciate with it. So if you know anything about Twitter, the way their default setting is on the app, it, if you've got it, um, it will constantly give you different tweets coming across your timeline. And, it, and it's not 
necessarily people you follow. So I do follow John, uh, Jonai, and so if Jonai liked something from someone that he followed, sometimes that tweet might show up on my timeline. It'll say, liked by Jonai Raleigh. It's not anyone I followed. It's not anything I requested to see, but I'm seeing it because someone I followed liked it. Or it could just be something from someone who, that I, who follows, oh boy, I knew I was going to get that mixed up. Someone that Joe and I follows. Doesn't even have to be something he liked or, or anyone that I follow. So they, it's just constantly something new and more to, to keep your attention there, to try to, to draw you in and it takes a lot of time. So there's a setting you can do to make it so that you only see latest tweets from the people you follow. And that's where I try to keep mine, is you're just seeing what you want to see. Um, somewhere along the line, a few years back, I don't know if, that's, if it was probably in the default setting, but I came across this, this guy, and his handle was Texas Cowpuncher. And it was interesting. He was a rancher in South Texas on the Mexico border, and I, somehow I saw a couple of his tweets and I followed him. It, just, it was an interesting life, it appeared. And he had, you know, he had cattle and he had horses and he was on the border and he had illegal people coming across and he was having to deal with and it was just quite kind of wild. But um, then after a while I realized his wife was on Twitter and her name was Mrs. Puncher on there. His name was JD and her name was Amy, but their, their handle was Texas Cow Puncher and Mrs. Puncher. Well, I followed her because he would often respond to her, and I wasn't sure what he was saying because he was responding to her, and they would go back and forth on Twitter a lot. And it was kind of an entertaining deal. And so I followed him for years. I never engaged with them, I never interacted with them, but I followed their life. And a few weeks ago, it was actually when I was on my way to leadership conference to Kansas, I find out that it's completely fake. These people don't even exist. I was shocked. I had no idea. He had 20,000 followers. She had 16,500. There's a lot of people following along and engaging with them, and they're totally fake. You know what it is? It's some old guy from Missouri in his basement that's created all these accounts. It wasn't just them two. JD's dad had an account that would chime in every once in a while, not very often, and their main hired hand had an account. And they all interacted, it was one man doing all the interaction, and it seemed totally real. And for me, it was like, I had to do a bunch of search. I couldn't believe it when I, when I started hearing it. I was like, no way, like that, they were real. I knew they were real. And they weren't real. Um, Well, this will tie in maybe a little later with our message, but we'll just take a quick word of encouragement, maybe especially to you younger folks, to be very careful on social media. Because as real as some of these things seem, it is easy for them to be fake. And if you think about it, I wasn't that upset. There were some people in the ag world that would actually interact with them quite regularly. I mean, have conversations. And those people were kind of worked up. I mean, think about that. They kind of had a relationship with them. And now they find out they were talking to some old guy in Missouri. 
I mean, you think about the women that were talking to Amy, Amy, or supposedly Amy, Mrs. Puncher, and here they've been talking to a guy all the time. And, and you think about, should you ever choose to meet up with someone that you've met on social media? If I would have been going through Texas and I would have said, hey, I'd like to come by your ranch and check it out, I would have met with an old guy from Missouri. Who might you meet with? Just a word of caution. Um, be careful. Things can seem really, really real. And we're going to see that throughout the lesson this morning, I think. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1, we've already went through the first half of this chapter. Um, not sure we did it well, but we're going to try to finish up the second half of this chapter. We're going to begin here in second chap um, I'm sorry, second chapter, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. That tells me that there are going to be false teachers among us today. And he goes on, he says, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. This is something that happens slowly maybe, secretly maybe, not obviously. Privily does not mean obviously. And so, we can, you, you may find, you may know of someone that you just say, they're a false teacher. I just know it. And they're out there somewhere. But the question today is, well, the first one you need to answer is, am I a false teacher? Is what I'm teaching today, is it truth? And, and you need to know that, and you need to know if there's ever anything false that comes from this pulpit. And that's, that's got to be the first thing that you know without a shadow of a doubt. We need to be aware of the teaching that we are under. And, and then it can go out into our, the sermons that we're listening to, into the podcasts that we're listening to, into what we're filling our mind with, who we're listening to in life. And... These, these things are perhaps easy to allow to creep in because it says, it says in verse 2, many shall follow their pernicious ways. It's not just a congregation here and a crazy pastor there. It says many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be, shall be evil spoken of and I think about that, and I think about the damage that has been done to the, to the gospel, to the credibility of the gospel by false teachers. And when people look at Christianity and they want to have nothing to do with it because of their experience with it, it's, it's most off always because of a false teacher, because of a hypocrite, because of someone who claimed to be a Christian and didn't live it. And they've experienced hurt, and they've experienced pain, and then they don't want anything to do with it. Let's just read through the last half of this chapter, starting in verse 14. This is still speaking of false teachers. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart that they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have gone the right way, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. 
the dumb ass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the loss of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. Well, they promise them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption, for of, a, of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. I know that's a lot, and it's a little bit hard to grasp as you read through that. Uh, the sentences are a little hard to, to uh, understand totally, and we'll, we'll try to go back through them a little bit. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it, it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Some very similar words were written by Jude. And I just want to go and I want to read a few verses here over in Jude. Verse 4, he says, there are certain men crept in unawares. Again, he's saying, you didn't see him coming. This is not obvious. We're called to be aware. Then in verse, um, verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That verse is a lot like verse 14 here in 2 Peter, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. And these seem like really like big deals, right? Like it seems like really obvious things. How does this happen unaware, like privily? Um, I, just, I just saw a headline of a, a pastor of a big church who's 60 years old who left his wife and he remarried some 38-year-old woman. And I, I don't know. It just made me think of these verses. But that seems obvious to me that that's not a biblical thing. But where did it start? Because it didn't start there. It starts way back. And so that's what I believe we're called to be aware of this morning. How do we get there? <clears throat> Verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity. We're going we're gonna to look at that verse 11 over in Second Peter here in a minute. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds there are without water. And I think about clouds without water. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe some of you not so much as I have. I, I notice those. Last summer when we went almost a month without rain, and there would be days when the clouds would roll in and my wife would get excited, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, and I'm like, no, it's not. They were clouds without water, and they didn't bring anything. And it's totally disappointing. And you really think something's coming, and there's nothing. And I just wonder, do I, am I that way? I this is talking about false teachers, but I think it can be applied to all of us in a sense. As Christians, do I say I'm a Christian? I come as a Christian, but when it's all said and done, the people that I've interacted with in life walk away saying, well, there's not much to him. 
Maybe I got upset with them. Maybe I talked behind their back. Maybe there was a bad business deal. And, and I become a cloud without water. There's nothing refreshing. There's nothing life-giving in this description of these men. Carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Pretty dreary picture. We know what Jesus did when, uh, when he came to a fig tree that didn't have fruit on it. God doesn't use trees without fruit. He wants fruit. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. And as I thought about foam, I thought about getting a big glass of Coke and your waitress perhaps pours it for you and it's foaming over and she sets it down on your table and a couple minutes later you realize it's only a third full because she, she just filled it up full of foam and there's nothing left there. It looked like a lot, but there really wasn't much there. And then there's a quote from Enoch. And then verse 16, these are murmurers and complainers walking after their own lusts. And that's really, that's kind of where we start. When we're walking after our own lusts, our own desires, when it's about self, it just keeps going. And that can be a hard thing. That can be a hard thing in my life. It can be a hard thing even to encourage in another person's life. Because selfishness can start really small. And there's lots of ways that we can justify why I should do what I feel like doing and why maybe it's okay. I mean, others are doing it. And uh, we could go, uh, I need to keep moving. <clears throat> he says, uh, walking after those lusts, their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. These are sometimes gifted speakers. Sometimes... Men who have a vocabulary that can draw you in. They can have you on the edge of your seat, perhaps. Uh, perhaps more of an emotional time. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, and not having the Spirit. They don't have the spirit, these men don't. The problem is every time a false teacher gives a solution, it's only temporary. There's never lasting substance or change. And it keeps us coming back because there's never a change. So... Verse 15 here in 2 Peter 2 talks about Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, it says. Ba you find Balaam in Numbers 22. And I'm sure you know the story of Balaam. The, the king of the Moabites, was what name was Balak, and the children of Israel had come into his area. And they had camped there. And they had him all worked up. He was distressed, it says, because of the children of Israel. And so he sent messengers to Balaam to, to ask him to come and curse these people. And this is what he said. He said... Uh, 
call him, speaking of Balaam, saying, Behold, there's a people come out of from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Like he knew that he didn't have a chance. But for some reason, he put a lot of stock in the blessing and the cursing of Balaam. He says, they're too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I may drive them out of the land. For I what, which I guess that means believe or know, that whom thou blessest is blessed and whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. They came to Balak and he told them to spend the night and he would ask the Lord what he should do. And so he did that, and God came to him in the night and said, Who are these men here with you? And, and Balaam said to God, Balak, the, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent them to me, saying there's, there's people come out of Egypt. And basically he says, I want you to curse them so that I can overcome them and drive them out. And God says this to Balaam. He says, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam got up in the morning. He said to the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. Good job, Balaam. He did well. Well, in verse 14, the princes of Moab rose up. They went back to Balak. They tell him, He's not buying it. He sends even more important people. And they come to him and they say, let nothing hinder you from coming. He says, I will promote you into very great honor. I will do whatever you say to me. Come therefore and bless this people. Have you ever had anything happen like that in life where somebody's like, whatever it takes. Maybe it's a job. Somebody wants done and they're just like, no, it don't matter what the cost. Whatever it takes, I just want this done. And it's kind of a nice situation to be in. You know, if you need some other equipment, if you need more help, whatever it is, you just get what you need because you know there's nothing to worry about. And this was more of a personal thing. He was going to set him up for life. And look what Balaam does. He, he answers and he says in verse 18 to the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do more or less. Way to go, Balaam. And isn't that how we should all be? But something attracted him to that offer. And there was something that he couldn't send him home. And so he tells him, but you just hang out here, you spend the night, and I'll talk to God again. God came to him and he said, if they call you, rise up and go with them. So many times, I think we go to God multiple times because we didn't like the answer we got the first time. Have you ever done that? Have you ever known what God would want you to do? 
Maybe it's through him speaking to you, through you praying about it. Maybe it's just simply through his word. You know how you should live. You know how you should respond. You know if you should take the job or not. And yet you continue to ask because you want it. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been in the shoes of Balaam? And maybe you even turn them down. You say, no, I can't do that. No, I can't go there. No, I can't hang out with these people. Like, we know where it leads. We know what we should do. But, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just try this again. And, and God actually gave him, allowed him to go. And I think God will do that at times. He gives us the permission or the ability to go our own way. Go the way we, but you know what happens? Every time we don't do what God would have us to do the, the, the first time, life gets harder. Life gets harder. That's what happened to Balaam. He goes, he gets on his donkey, and he goes, and you know the story. He, he goes away, and his donkey stops and goes out in the field. And then there's, this, there's a narrow place where the angel is standing in front of the donkey and he can't get through and so the donkey just lays down and Balaam's mad at him and beats, beats him and, and the donkey actually talks to him. Pretty incredible. Haven't I been your donkey all these years and done what you need me to do, he said. Haven't I taken you everywhere you wanted to go? Why are you doing this to me? Can't you see? And Balaam couldn't see. And then the Lord opened his eyes and he could see. And you know what Balaam said? He finally realized. He said, I have sinned. I have sinned. And I know for me, I've went back to God, just like Balaam did. But when we find ourselves in this place, can we respond like Balaam with repentance? I have sinned. I'll go back. Balaam was ready to go back. God said, no, you just keep on going. But you speak what I tell you to speak. And, And Balaam had to go. And he had to go into a difficult place. He would have rather went home. At that point, like the intrigue of the silver and gold, the position, whatever it was, was gone. He recognized his sin. But he had to go, and in front of this king, he had to bless these people that the king wanted him to curse. Three different times. They went through all this work. The king was trying to get him to bless them, and he was still promising him stuff. And Balaam knew all along that he, he was probably afraid for his life at this point. Life got harder. And it'll happen for us too. Phil, you mentioned in, in Sunday school about sometimes needing to wait on God. And this is kind of the opposite. Sometimes we wait when God's already told us what to do. <clears throat> Well, we'll go back to <laughs> go back here to Second Timothy. I don't know if you have ever heard of the name of Ferdinand de Mara. He was an imposter his entire life. Um, he lived as a prison warden, a monk, a lawyer, a sheriff's deputy, cancer researcher, a teacher, a psychologist, and a surgeon. And he wasn't any of those. 
Probably his most famous was when he was a surgeon on a Canadian Navy ship. He, was, uh, he lived as the man, uh, Joseph, as, a, as a surgeon, Joseph Sires, who he claimed to be, who was a real surgeon. And uh, he, he had a very photographic memory. But on that ship, he performed surgeries on 16 Korean soldiers who were wounded. And none of them died. He would go into his, his bunk and he had a, a textbook on general surgery and he would speed read through the operation he was about to perform and then he would go and do it. One of them was a major chest surgery. And they all lived. And, and it was because of his success that he got found out because then he got put in the papers and the mother of Dr. Joseph Sire uh, didn't know his, her son was on the ship. And she went to investigating that, called her son. No, he wasn't on the ship. And she told authorities and that's how he got found out. But the point of this is he was really good at what he did, and he was an imposter. And as we think about these false teachers, they can be really good at what they do, and that's what makes it so deceptive. That's what makes it so difficult. When asked, um, when asked, Thought I had that. Asked to describe what he did. What, I'm sorry, why he did what he did. Damara re responded, rascality, pure rascality. He was a rascal. And he knew it. Um, and he, you know, obviously a very talented man. And if he would have poured that talent into one thing on his own instead of impersonating someone else, he could have made, no doubt, a bigger impact in life. But... The great imposter lives on. The master of illusion has turned angels to demons, pastors to predators, sheep into wolves. He has hats for every occasion. Have we talked with, laughed with, cried with, danced with this imposter. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if its ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Verse 17, they speak great swelling words of vanity. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. These men often promise liberty. They promise freedom. They promise something better. And yet this says that they are the servants of corruption and that they are in bondage. And only free men, free men. If a man is in bondage, if a man is in sin, he's not going to help another man. He's not going to lead another man out of it. 
Only free men, free men. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. It seems like that so often when someone backslides, when someone leaves the faith, they blame God. This speaks of apostasy and the, you know, there, it's pretty common in our, really in our, across the country, there's a lot of talk of deconstruction. And there's a sense in which that word could be used, um, could be understood properly, I suppose. But I think a lot of the deconstruction that, that I have read of or heard of is kind of just another word for apostasy. As they have been, they have experienced pain and hurt, and they have deconstructed their faith to the point that they no longer have faith. For it had been better for them, we talked about this in our last message when we spoke of lukewarmness. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallering in the mire. A pig will always be a pig. It doesn't matter how clean you make it. A dog will always be a dog. I guess what I would say is we've got to be transformed. We've got to become children of God. We've got to be changed. We cannot just clean up the outside. It will never last. It might look all right for a while, but we're going to find ourselves right back in this verse. A dog returning to his vomit and a pig returning to the mire. We've got to become as lambs, the Bible describes us. Maybe a better term. But we've got to be changed. Made into the image of the Son of God. Well, we had to breeze through that a little more than I was planning to because I thought I was going to leave some time at the end and I've almost used it all. But just, I guess, in, in closing as we wrap up, I want us to be aware of false teaching, false teachers. Number one, in our pulpits and also in our own lives and in the other influences that we allow into our minds and to teach us. They inform our faith and belief very strongly, and it happens slowly. It's a slow fade. When you give yourself away, there's a song that says, it's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made. When you give yourself away, Churches never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. People never crumble in a day. We need to be alert. And when God, when we know what God is telling us to do, and we know what he's calling us to do, we need to step out. And we need to do it. And don't wait around. 
if we know. There's a time for waiting, and I, I understand the flip side of that is very important, and, and it can be just as difficult. But don't make excuses because it's not what I want to do. Remember this, that even when you've gone the wrong way, like Balaam or like Jonah, that God is still faithful. God was there with Balaam through the rest of the way. It was no doubt humiliating for him. It was embarrassing. It was uncomfortable. He did not want to be there. But because of the choices he had made, he found himself there. But God was with him, and he'll be with us too. I have sinned. Repent, and then continue to follow him. I just want to read a couple of verses in Jude as we close, and we'll have a song. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's have a song. Number five.